You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is another live episode recorded at the Gilded Balloon at the Edinburgh Fringe 2013. Uh, we've got an absolute powerhouse of a comedian for you today. Uh, one of the most consistently excellent jokesmiths in the world. This is Milton Jones. Thank you very much for joining us. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Lovely to have you here. How you. is your show going? Uh, good, yeah. I'm only here for 11 nights, which feels like cheating in a way because I've done my time doing four weeks uh, for ages. So, uh, yeah, it's going very well. Yeah. Okay. On the uh, Assembly Hall. On I enjoyed the show very much. Can I just ask uh, who here has seen Milton's show this year? Yeah. That's a relief. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I think we can safely assume you've all seen Milton in some context or another. Um, mm. And the first question I wanted to ask was really about your persona and how you, uh, how you are on stage and how that differs from how you are in real life. Because I notice, even mm. now, having said hello to you two minutes ago mm. and seeing you sitting there now, you have adopted a slightly Milton-esque... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. there. So let's yeah. talk about that. Uh, I think when I first started doing comedy, I used to do it pretty much as myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that would really work. I mean, similar sorts of jokes. But I found out, you know, that if you did a rough club in Romford on a Monday and you sounded slightly middle class and you did clever jokes, mm -hmm. it didn't always work. So I found if I stuck my hair up and looked a bit mad, <laughs> suddenly I wasn't a threat anymore. Okay. And uh, those jokes began to work more regularly. So, and also I like to think it's a bit of a signpost to say where I'm coming from in terms of the writing in that it's a bit more left field. Um, but there are degrees of Milton. Sure. I usually say, the thicker the crowd, the higher the hair has to go. Okay, okay, Girl, that's interesting. Because I was gonna, I, I noticed when I saw your show, which was specifically your show, as opposed mm. to a mixed bill, to your audience, you had, your hair was very low down, and I wondered yeah. if you were phasing out the hair, but that was more of a specific decision about the crowd. No, I mean, my dad's phasing out his hair, but I'm not <laughs> um, phasing out mine yet. No, I mean, I don't need to. Basically, okay. uh, Big hair and big shirt gives me 10 seconds at the top gotcha. for them to tune into what I'm doing. But if they've come to see me, generally speaking, they know what they're in for. So there's no need to do that. And was the, was the big hair and the big shirt, was that one of several things that you tried until you got just the right thing? Were you, yeah, were you experimenting with other possibilities? Yes. I mean, I did go even weirder for a while. You know, like Emo Phillips goes proper weird. I sort of, you know, gurned it up. Okay. It, was, it was just slightly off-putting in a wrong way. Um, and then I played around with cardigans and uh, I used... <laughs> but that was off stage. <laughs> And uh, jumpers, I used to do more jumpers. Shirts is quite a recent thing, actually. Um, it's only since being on telly and the lights being too hot that I've stopped okay. the jump jumpers. So, um, okay. uh, but I've always messed around with that kind of thing. But it needs to be, it needs to be not too, oh, that's wacky, wacky. It needs to be, no. Sure. 
you've got to be subtly wrong as opposed yeah. to the crazy guy in the office. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And just to just to sort of stay for a moment on the on the persona of Milton, I wondered if there are. And I mean, do you ever do you how do you in what terms do you talk about the guy that you are on stage? Because it's you, and yet it's not you. Yeah. Well, I think most of us who do stand up uh, go into a, a slightly heightened version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not a complete idiot normally, um, there is a sense of that. I'm quite clumsy, and I quite often take a while to catch on to things. And I've just heightened the whole thing. Okay. And uh, turned it into a living. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> contrary to all the teachers' expectations. <laughs> and do you do you find in situations like this or other interviews where you're being yourself, <laughs> do you feel that there is some of Milton just? kind of bubbling below the surface some of the performance Milton uh, yes I mean it's a bit unconscious what are, are there are levels of Milton that come out in terms of if I'm just doing stand up to a big crowd then it's full on one liner one liner one liner but then say something like Mock the Week where you have to interact a bit I mean I'm not the most interactive on that show but where you have to you know think on your feet a bit I pull it back a bit and I laugh at other people's jokes about whatever it is you know I'm not and then when I'm doing an interview with someone then I'm well like I am now but sure. as you point out is not you exactly are a little bit, how I am yes, off stage yeah. sure sure so um, do you when you're when you were creating did you when you were creating the character of Milton how, how did that how did that come about do you start off doing jokes as yourselves as yourself that you'd written in what kind of context were you doing just sort of open mic things what drove you to, to start uh, when I started years ago 20 odd years ago the, um, the circuit was quite a different place and uh, there were far less opportunities of doing stuff and it was all about doing open spots but each different open spot each open spot i would do a slightly different character but similar material and i'd I'd use a welsh accent or i'd i'd put on a massive stomach or you know i just (laughs) do two classics on the open bike circuit if you don't you either go welsh or you go stomach yeah that's uh, uh, so i just play around with it and gradually i found a level that worked best and uh, didn't mean that I had to carry loads of props around with me. Just sort of have hair wax, will travel. Sure. That's all I needed. And so it gradually evolved. But it, it was important to be a moving object in order to find that evolution. Yes. I mean, I remember seeing you at, at gigs maybe seven or eight years ago, at a, a particular one I remember at the boat show at the, the Tattersall Castle, yeah. when you, you really surprised me because I think I'd seen you before just doing the one-liners. And this was in a much more sort of Friday night mm. club uh, environment in which you improvised loads mm. and you managed you managed to improvise within the persona of Milton so mm. that it, it felt it didn't feel jarring at all mm. but I only knew you as a one-liner person mm. so I, would how much in the early days how much of that improvisation came through or were you doing more uh, than a list of jokes I've got better at improvising over the years the nice thing about the character is that you know it gives you a bit of time if you pull a face and uh You've got you've got some time to think, and you know the the comeback might be one word, because that's the character, or two words, or or if the worst comes to the worst, you can just weird it up and you know go and move on. <laughs> so um, I've developed confidence in that. What's hard for me to do is do something like you can do really well. It's like MC, mm-hmm. something like that. It's like you know be high energy and get a crowd going and interact and be genial and get. That, that's difficult for that persona to do. Um, I do try it sometimes, but it's not really right, me running a show and the main person everyone sees in the middle is a bit weird. That mm. that's, that's, doesn't really work for a show. Um, but I like to think if there's energy in the room, I mean, I'll take heckles all day, really. I quite enjoy that. Um, <laughs> what's hard for me is a dead room. Yes. When there's no energy there to surf in the first place. Okay. Um, so, so what, what strategies do you have for dealing with heckles? Uh, usually the best way of dealing with a heckle, I think, is always to find something in what the heckler has said to kill themselves, to use their own weight against them. Okay. Um, yeah, we all have a number of bullets in our gun that we're going to use should it come to it. Sure. But I always like, you know, they spent 10 minutes thinking, what shall I shout, what shall I shout, what shall I shout? <laughs> and then they shout it, and they're not expecting you to say, well, what do you mean by that exactly? Yes, and okay. suddenly the playing field is entirely level and the audience are on your side. Yes. So, um, you know, and also hecklers don't expect you to be nice to them. Okay. 
and they're not quite sure they're, if they're, in, they're imagining a combative environment yeah, where yeah. they're going to fight you and take you down yeah so if you say thank you very much or yeah. whatever it is and that and they're not sure then if you're being sarcastic and the audience don't know is that you you can play around with the whole uh, relationship dynamics in a more interesting way, I think, than just going slam. Sure. I mean, there are occasions for that when someone keeps on coming and they're drunk, you know. Uh, but I much prefer to use their own weight against them. And is that is what? Excuse me, I'm trying to think of several questions mm. at once. When you were uh, when you first started out in comedy, did you did you have any kind of pre-prepared heckling material? Had you thought I'd better have something to say? Uh, I knew I should, but I didn't. Okay. And uh, well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, I was always pretty against trying to use. You know, there are a number of heckle put downs that we all know that sort of everyone, or a lot of people use. Sure. And yes, you can use those. And I have even delved into those. You know, when I first started, but I was determined to find my own way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was gradually over the years, I've written things. Heckle put downs get written best when you're heckled in a show and you've no idea how to deal with it. Mm. And you're going home, you think, right, next time I'm going to be so ready for that. <laughs> and the adrenaline of that moment makes you come up with something. And, you know, enough of those failures over the years means you have quite an arsenal to throw at the next heckler. Sure. Uh, but as I say, I do prefer just seeing what happens if we talk to them. I remember it puts me in mind of a story I heard about Harry Hill, who, uh, again, inhabits an unusual mm. world and uh, ended up developing a... Uh, the heckle did sort of not even a put down but a line to deal with heckles where he'd say you can say what you like about me sir but I know when I get home Mm. I've got a lovely chicken in the oven (laughs) which would which would just kind of again yeah Yeah. (laughs) it leaves them with nowhere to go I think what I really enjoyed about watching you deal with hecklers Mm. the few times I've seen it is that you do have a kind of back and forth relationship with them and I think that's the last thing they expect because Mm. you're not someone who comes on in a combative Mm way yeah yeah you sort of it's almost like uh, tai chi yes yes although i heard uh, someone say it's a really subtle form of bullying (laughs) (laughs) but there is that it depends what they're like as well and also because uh, i'm lucky in that the demographic of my shows uh it's it's kids and all sorts Mm. so suddenly a child will shout out you forgot to do the bit earlier or whatever it is so it you know it'd be wrong to go in and slam them anyway and it's you know and the whole room suddenly freezes slightly because they realize you're dealing with an eight-year-old sure and uh, you've got to be nice in that situation but it'd be great if you and them can find something weird together yes that everyone can love yes and you've got to go down that road a bit you know ask them about school or if they're on holiday whatever it is and then the bits of the shows that people remember surely aren't always the the pre-prepared material that we've spent hours and hours on mm. but the things that happened on that night that only could have happened on that night sure. and were magical you needed the pre-prepared stuff to get there yeah but the magic that happened on the night is what everyone will walk away with there's an incredibly generous attitude to want to to regard i mean i know a lot of mm. uh, comedians don't like performing in rooms full of children when i saw your show the other night i was really surprised by how many young people there were mm. um but it's it, that shows a real generosity of spirit i think to want to not just crush them and get on mm. with it but actually go okay let's let's yeah. see where this can go it's quite a fine line though because they, quite often people freeze when you talk to them and you don't want to look like you're hurting them and you've got to you've got to see if this is going to work going to work okay we'll move on to something else it's, sure you know t- to tease something out i did uh, a show a few years ago now i was in edinburgh actually and uh, this girl shouted out something i forget what it was and it was just a little chat and then at the end i went back to her and i said uh, so rebecca did you enjoy the show and her mum said she's asleep <laughs> <laughs> there's no comeback and that, yeah. that fortunately or unfortunately is what people probably remember from that show sure Mm. And were you thinking in the car on the way back? Next yeah, time, yeah, next, next time, time yeah. next time I'll stay for something to throw at her. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have certain? Given that there are children in the audience, mm. and and even without taking that into concern, do you have certain rules about what the character of Milton Jones will or won't say, or or the things that are in his or your life? Yes, I mean, I, some of it's unconscious, um, but I, I don't swear because mm. um, that's part of the world that I've created and I wanted it to be accessible to my own children and everyone else, uh, uh, as many as possible. Um, I wouldn't very often break out of the skin and say, this is just a gig and I'm being paid for it. You know, I wouldn't come out and say, hey, I'm just a comedian. Mm. I would try and believe 
make people believe that I thought everything I was saying was true. So, you know, Gary uh, Delaney's way of doing one-liners, mm. he's a very good one-liner comedian, is to say, look, folks, here's some jokes. You'll like some of them. You won't like others. Here we go. Sure. And that's the way he does it. But the persona thing, hopefully, I know people suspend their disbelief, but hopefully people believe what I'm saying at that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it funny. Mm. So do you see yourself, it's interesting you mentioned Gary and obviously Tim Vine is the other sort of famous one-liner merchant. Um, do you see yourself in the context of other people that do one-liners? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th I think you could draw a great big family tree or Venn diagram, couldn't you, mm. of, of comedians and who overlaps with who. And But me, Tim, Stuart Francis, Jimmy Carr, Gary Delaney, um, we all slightly overlap and we're indifferent. What's interesting, I think, about one-liners is, is in order to get away with them, I think we all use a form of misdirection. Okay. In that, uh, say, Tim, if you're familiar with Tim Vine, he'll do a very sort of uh, entertainery sort of way. Yes. Da -da 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 -da. And that's his way of dealing with it. Jimmy does the persona thing as well, mm -hmm. but in a slightly darker way. It's incredible to think of you and Jimmy Carr in the same sentence even, but it, it, you are doing a similar sort of subterfuge. If you look at the, the words that we use, they're pretty similar, actually. Uh, <laughs> not all of the words. No, not all of the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Stuart Francis is another one. Mm -hmm. uh, he sort of uses a slightly urbane Canadian drawl. Mm. And, uh, but, look, you know, it's slightly odd for us to watch each other because we know that there will be some overlap in thought. Mm -hmm. And he'll have one that I'll have either not come up with yet or I've got exactly the same punchline. Mm -hmm. And so it's a slightly painful process to watch each other sometimes, sure. even though we actually all get on with each other. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you had to, I mean, have there been conversations where you've had to say, you know, you've got to put your hand up and go, I've, I've kind of Absolutely. That. Every time I see Tim, every time I see Stuart, basically. <laughs> um, and we're quite often phoning each other and said, you know, if we've got a new line, say, have you got something that goes like this? And then we go, yes or okay. no, or whatever it is, or just say yes anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what was it again? <laughs> I have now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, no, but we all get on quite... We're never on the same bill, of course. Yes. Sure. Because people, you know, people have uh, the one-liner man and that you'd only have, unless it's a benefit, in which mm -hmm. case we all try and avoid each other. Or sure. get on first, that's the thing. Yes, <laughs> I really must go yeah. and look after the kids, yeah. <laughs> so um, I wondered as well something about the, the rhythm. We were talking about the, the way that your persona and the personas mm -hmm. of all those different uh, comics allows them. What, what is that, that that allows you to do that, the fact of... Jimmy's mm. take on the world and, and Stuart's drawl and your, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word idiocy, but apparent, yeah. apparent idiocy. What, what is it exactly that you said it, it kind of buys you some time, but can we go into that a bit further? What, what, does it, what does it do that you wouldn't be able to do if you just, because the jokes are strong enough, surely, that you could walk on and do the well, jokes. Well, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once uh, I was announced at a club and I wasn't ready. And my hair was down, and I was, I was, and I just heard my name, and I had to run out on the stage, and do the same jokes. And this was a number of years ago now, and I felt I could hear the audience think, thinking, these are just puns, really, aren't they? And <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as bad as that, sure. but um, I suppose I need to dress up to get into battle, mm -hmm. and that helps me say, right now, I am playing a character, mm -hmm. but also hopefully the character signposts towards a whole world. And you can't do that if you don't have some kind of visual stimulus, I don't think. Okay. Whether it be just in the acting of it or some kind of shirt or prop or something. Sure. So um, there are degrees of it. And, you know, I think I can do it with just my eyes. Um, but is that a train? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it, hopefully it's to draw people into a world, a bigger thing. Sure. That, that aspect of the visual, I think, is very important in your work. And it's what stops it from being, or it separates it from being puns or pun-based. There are some puns in, in your jokes, but a lot more are kind of, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person to draw the similarity with the Far Side cartoons, yeah, yeah. where it's, it's, it's a yeah, whole yeah. visual picture. It's, one, it's a one-panel yeah, yeah. idea. I was looking at one of yours on your Twitter feed earlier on. Uh, the joke was, uh, I must, ap uh, apologies to the bee who earlier on I shouted, get a job at. Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> was it apologies to the bee? Uh, apologies to apologies the Apologies to the... Uh, uh, <laughs> It was really Apologies to the wasp. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was it. Apologies to the bee that I shouted to get a job out. I thought you were a wasp. Yes. That Got there in the end. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, hopefully. I mean, what is art if it isn't 
looking at something and trying to change people's perception of it. So that even though they're just jokes in a way, if I am walking along and I see a handkerchief on the ground, mm -hmm. me as a comedian who earns a living from that, I'm thinking, there's a handkerchief on the ground. What does that look like? What other way could I express that that could surprise people? Thinking, thinking, mulling, mulling. May take weeks, may take months. Some of the stuff I've had takes years. Then suddenly, I've booked a room with some people in it who've paid for tickets, and I've got these ideas written down, and the adrenaline of that makes me think, I was walking along the other day, and on the road, I saw a small dead baby ghost. <laughs> Although thinking about it, it might have been a handkerchief. <laughs> So I'm constantly on the lookout for visual puns, if you like. Yes. Or, or, or there's something today. Yeah, visual puns is an interesting way of looking at it because it's a, a play on images rather than a play on words. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a technical word for it. I'm not sure what it is exactly. But, um, and then, you know, there was a sign I saw the other day saying burlesque only. I thought, isn't he in prison in Italy yet? <laughs> <laughs> or, so you're kind of constantly looking for stuff but then you're thinking well in what context could I put that in sometimes so I make a little note um, and lots of it I throw away about nine out of ten of those okay but because I do bits of radio and bits of telly and bits of writing eventually I'll fit most of them in somewhere do you, do you find out of the different things that you do that the, the different creative things you do do you find that stand-up is the hardest discipline is it a case of if it doesn't work on stand-up it might work in something else because I mean I, I, mm. I can see it happening that way around but you're unlikely to look at something that isn't quite right for radio and think it'll probably work on stage yes uh, I think there's a, if it doesn't work on stage I want to know the reason why it doesn't work I mean it might be uh, an audio joke of some kind that works far better on the radio okay. there, there is there are those jokes um, but I think there's a danger of watering down stuff and thinking this is all great well, it's no, you know what it's like if you haven't done a gig for a month or two it takes a while to get your sharpness back mm -hmm. and mentally writing wise it takes a while to get your sharpness back if you're not writing for stand up and even doing my own tour I did a, a week at, end at the comedy store a couple of now about 18 months ago and I looked at some of my tour material and I thought nah not going to use that Okay. Because it's a comedy store and you need to be doing your A game. And I've suddenly realised that a lot of my tour stuff wasn't my A game. Okay. And so, apologies to anyone who yeah, yeah. five pounds well, a ticket. <laughs> when I say A game, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that at a late show at the comedy store. There are sort of more playful and whimsical things maybe that sure. would be in a tour show. But it's horses for courses, I think. And some things are. But it's really easy to kid yourself. It's like. Um, being fit, if you just go on runs by yourself, mm -hmm. you can think you're a brilliant sprinter. Okay. But as soon as you play for a team, you find out that maybe you're not as good as you thought you were. Sure. And being in a, a comedy store context where everyone's trying really hard, suddenly you, you, know, you, you realise you know, what you've written, the quality of it. It's interesting with someone who I imagine spends so much time writing as you to hear that, that the moment of the, the pre-new material night adrenaline actually makes a difference to you. I know it makes a tremendous difference to me. I'm sort of casting around going, oh, God, I've got nothing. And the hour before the show, you sit and you, and you write you know, yeah, from yeah. the nothing, from the bits and bobs, from the yeah, notes. Yeah. You write some jokes and then they work. And you're like, oh, God, I, I could have done that nine o'clock Monday morning and then I wouldn't have been worrying all week. But... I find that if I had done that at nine o'clock on Monday morning and I produced pages and pages, so much of it would have been rubbish because mm. I hadn't got the adrenaline of the moment. There's something sure. about seeing people filing into a room mm -hmm. that you just go, that won't work. That maybe, you'd know, yes, <laughs> yes, right, and I'll do that. Oh, and I thought of something else that I've just seen over there because I'm, I'm living in that moment of you're going to do it now. Yes. And you need those moments. You know, you could take a year off to write a new show. But if you didn't perform in that year, you'd probably end up with a rubbish show. Sure. I would, anyway. The, uh, just to use the example of the, the hanky slash small dead baby ghost joke, when, what, was the, what was the timing of the creation of that joke in terms of you seeing it? Did you make a note of it or did it just sort of roll around your head for a while? And when did you first commit it to paper and when did you first commit it to the stage? 
Uh, I can't remember on that that one because that's quite an old joke in a way from my. Um, uh, but some of them are really instant. Some of them seem to drop fully formed mm-hmm. into your head. But for every one of those, there are a hundred other ones that um, have been on my back burner for possibly ten years. And is that what what form does that does that take? Do you have kind of notebooks and catalogues? What what sort of? Uh, it's a file on my computer basically, okay. and I write half ideas down. And uh, there was another one today that um, someone said, "I'm off to Bournemouth. My mum's Hawaii." I thought it was a strange way to tell everyone your mum's Hawaii. Anyway, as I say, most of these I throw away. <laughs> but uh, you're always trying to see things from another direction. And, uh, you know, some t- and also because uh, the one-liner, if it's over three lines, mm-hmm. it's too long for me. So I'm literally shaving syllables off. Okay. And because w- when um, it works, I think what I do is I put a silly cartoon in people's head that may have a surprise ending. Sure. Um, Sometimes the idea is right, but the communication isn't. And you, by just reversing it or putting an extra word on or changing the rhythm, you can make it work. So I've lots of ideas that I've tried out once or twice, but I haven't thrown them away. I've just put them in the different part of a file to try again when I come to them fresh. So this is Milton. This was a really fun interview, but we also got some uh, some deeper stuff from Milton as well. You've heard a lot on Persona already in this episode, but later we'll be talking about the visual paradigm of some of his jokes, uh, changing, correcting the uh, the picture rather than the puns, almost like visual puns, a lot of uh, Milton's material, uh, as well as some fascinating stuff on the way that Mock the Week is made and, uh, and Milton's rather unique role in that process. Uh, and we're also edging ever closer to uncovering Milton's origin story. Um, I must apologise for the noise around me. I'm recording this in, uh, a, in a small cafe. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but what we've been getting over the last year or so is gradually less of what I was originally searching for, a kind of slot A, tab B approach to, to joke writing and, and how that process works. And we're getting more of a, a holistic sense of how a creative person operates. I mean, the frustrating thing, obviously, is that any of these interviews could last forever uh, and we always have to curtail them, but that's just the world, isn't it? Um, but I've noticed, I, and I don't know if I've said this before, but I've definitely started to find a difference in the way I'm writing stand-up as a result of doing this show. And I hope, uh, I hope it's doing the same for you. Thank you for all of your donations thus far. I really appreciate them. And uh, I have just recently had the final settlement back from the run of uh, Comedians Comedian that we did at the Edinburgh Festival this year, uh, of which so many of the, the most recent episodes have been taken. And I'm very pleased to say that I really need your donations. Uh, we had a, I had a lot of fun at Edinburgh. I worked really hard. We got loads and loads of interviews done and um, produced a great big wadge of material that will continue to crash towards you for some time. But a smash and grab, it was not. Um, I'll be paying through the nose for some time uh, and if you'd like to help me pay through the nose you can definitely do that if you've enjoyed this and any other episodes if they've made a small difference to the way you view your own process or the way you watch your favorite comedians on the telly or in the clubs then a donation of any size would be much appreciated via the website comedianscomedian.com just click on the paypal button you can decide how much you want to pay so far we've had donations ranging from five to bless your heart 50 pounds i don't expect 50 quid from everyone but uh, if you can afford to pay for it, then uh, then I really appreciate it because uh, this, this business is... It was operating at a sort of a mild loss. And since Edinburgh, it is uh, operating at an enormous loss. So uh, if you'd like to help out the show, please do so. Uh, if you're unable to, I've had a couple of students writing to me, people who haven't got any money. I totally understand. There's no obligation. If you can do, if you'd like to, go to the website and click on PayPal. So uh, merchandise update. There isn't any merchandise. Uh, I quite fancy doing a hat or something, something comedian-y, certainly. I thought maybe a, a satchel or possibly a, a do not disturb hanger for a hotel door that says busy writing on one side and on the other side crying into the sink. Or possibly not the word crying, possibly something else. Uh, tweet me your amusing ideas for ComComPod merch to at ComComPod using the hashtag pennies from heaven. <laughs> so uh, that's all for now. Um, some little advertising blurbs and stuff at the end. And uh, now I shall return you to the wonderful Milton Jones. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Talking about the, the process of writing, I wanted to talk a bit about the assemblage of your material and how you structure a 20-minute set or a seven-minute, and how you structure an hour. Because something I noticed um, from your show that I saw the other night, I, I be, kind of gradually became aware, because I was sort of searching for it, I was kind of mm. looking at it uh, critically, um, in, in a positive way. Critically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, this is awful. Mm. Um, <laughs> I was aware of how the links help, started to help the setups. Because mm. there's so much misdirection involved, you mm. told a story which began with a, a joke about parachuting mm. and a cagoul, and then you, I don't want to sort of spoil any of these, and often I can't remember the sheer yeah, volume yeah. of them. But um, then you, and, and then in the story, you walk into a forest, hmm. and being in a forest helps you do your next joke, which is about butterflies in your stomach. Yeah. But we're expecting it to be butterflies in your stomach as the payoff hmm. a lot less because we've just seen you walk into a forest. Yeah, yeah. So the misdirection is superb in that case because we mm. think we're following an mm. actual story mm. that keeps shifting paradigm. We keep changing the frame over and over again. Well, the worst thing that can happen is the audience are ahead of you. Yes. So uh, I wouldn't prepare for a 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I'd be happy to do gag, gag, gag. But after about that, people then think, oh, I see how this works. Or okay. subconsciously they do. Okay. And they begin to get ahead of you. So, And also after about 15 minutes, you can see blood coming out of people's ears. Because <laughs> it, it's too much information and you can see them you know, zoning out a bit. So... Um, as you saw, I've got an overhead projector, I've got bits of music, I've got anything. It's lovely to see an overhead projector. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially in a room that size yes. in 2013. Yes, amazing. well, you've I've got, either got to go high-tech or low-tech, <laughs> haven't you? So uh, I had to go low-tech. Um, but yes, yeah, so to vary the angle of attack because uh, people get used to it and yes. can see it coming. So anything to try and shift things around. But you c I can't change style. I remember I did some touring with Rory Bremner years ago, and he did 10 minutes without impressions. Okay. And you could feel the audience going, what? <laughs> I didn't pay for this. Yeah. You know, it's great stand-up, but, you know, they want what they want. Yes. Uh, and they've seen me do one-liners, so I've got to kind of do that, but try and make them different. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear the old jokes, particularly, mm -hmm. or some people do. Um, but they want to get presented in a way in which surprises them. And an hour and a half show, it's harder and harder to surprise them as the show goes on. Mm. Uh, so you've got to... And also they become more weary, I think. When you, when you say that you don't do jokes... When, when three lines is too long for you, you don't do jokes longer than three lines, have you ever tried that? Have you tried doing stand-up with a longer form? Uh, not really. Initially, I got into one-liners because I was so terrified of being on stage. I had to get to the joke as quickly as possible. <laughs> and so you end up with a one-liner, effectively. Um, and so gradually I got pigeonholed for doing that and I said, well, yeah, I'm a one-liner man. Um, but no, it's never really worked for me. I don't do whimsy particularly. I tend to need a joke. I need a joke thing um, to make me laugh. And um, if I can do some whimsy on the way, that's great. But it feels a bit like um, eating lots of pastry with no meat to me, whimsy. Okay. The meat being the punchline. It's yeah, got I want so, to... It's got to have something that can work in a club on a Saturday night as well. I want to go, ha, not, ha. <laughs> I see what you mean, as, a, as an audience member. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to do what sort of makes you laugh, I think. Okay. I think. So when you're putting together the... And I noticed some of your... In some of your previous work, there's the joke about, you know, my other grandfather, my mm. other grandfather. Is, is that a sort of... Do you kind of go, OK, these jokes are all about... You know, I've got 100 jokes here. Ten of them are about... Could be about a man or a grandfather, mm. so I'll scoop those together for the sake of memory. 
Yeah, partly memory and partly so that it looks more natural. I mean, they do sort of clunk together, but I'll have all my relationship jokes together. I have all my school jokes together. Okay. Uh, um, just, I think the audience, you know, it ma- makes it feel slightly less tiring if, it, you know, there appears to be a subject holding things together. Okay. The valuable jokes to me are the ones like my grandfather ones that can be runners. Sure. That can sort of act as a, as a rod through the madness. Yes. Um, and I've got several different ones of those. But when I find one of those, because uh, by definition, they're, they're two or three jokes in themselves. Okay. Those are the ones that are really useful. Okay. I'm really kind of nerding out over the, the minutiae of the technical process mm. here, but we might come back to that again in a moment. Um, I wanted to ask whether you consider yourself to be an artist or an entertainer. Oh. Actually, I, I, I wouldn't use either word. I mean, I suppose someone might in a broad sense. Entertainer seems to smack of old school, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Sure. And, or children's entertainer, uh, which oh, maybe I am. Um, and artist seems a bit too pretentious somehow. I like, oh, it's not my phrase, but clown for adults. Okay. <laughs> that does have connotations, which I think some people <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. picked up on. Yes. Um, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's a... Uh, it's not going to change your political philosophy. It's not going to make you change direction in your life particularly. Mm-hmm. But if it works and if you like it, it will give you some kind of escapist joy for an hour. And is that, is that important to you, to give people joy? Is that, what, what's, the, what's the main drive underneath your, your wanting to get people to laugh? Is it purely a sort of a selfish, you enjoy the experience? Or is it, how important is it to you that there's an element of joy, that there's some element of... I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'd love to give some people joy this evening. <laughs> but, um, but given, given <laughs> that it's, you know, yeah. I mean, we, I think you get used to, over time, you get mm. used to people laughing. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of different elements to that. I like making people laugh, and that gives me the adrenaline to want to do it. And I'm lucky to be able to get to be at a time when comedy is popular and we can get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, on the other hand, um, it can become addictive in a slightly weird way. I think you get addicted to adrenaline as much as anything. So even on a night off at about nine o'clock, I'm feeling twitchy. Sure. Because my body's used to, come on. Or even when you take a night off, you know, you go to a friend's party or something. This is boring. You get bored, really. Well, I do. <laughs> go, come on. It's, I'm not the centre of attention. Is, it, is that on? it? Is that it? Because I, well, think, yeah. I think a lot of comedians fall prey to that. You see a lot of comedians storming the conversation. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, that, that is, is that true. something you do? I can't no, quite imagine I, I, that. No, well, thank you. <laughs> um, no, I'm not, I don't think I'm that kind of person. I, there are two types of comedian, aren't there? There's the person who's on all the time mm. uh, and is great for half an hour but painful to share a car journey with. Uh, <laughs> And think of examples in your own head. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then there's the other type, which I hope I'm more like, who's just one person off stage and one person on stage, although there is a tiny overlap. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for a start, in real life, I couldn't be that intense mm. with what I was saying mm. or have that much meaning. Uh, so, no, I can't be like that off stage. But because my body's addicted to the adrenaline and I'm used to being the centre of attention... Um, if I'm at a dull party, it really annoys me. And do, what steps do you take? Well, it depends. It depends who and where. Uh, but I do find myself not winding up people for the sake of it, <laughs> but just trying to make something happen. Okay. Which is a bit sad, I suppose. But um, just because, uh, you know, I'm used to things happening and rooms trying, you know, I suppose you feel a slightly subconscious responsibility to make something happen in the room. Okay. Because that's what our job is, after sure. all. And if not much is happening, then we failed in some way. I mean, do you, do you think there's a, a parallel there with, and I, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, maybe the answer is no, but something that I feel, that I think a lot of comedians feel, is a sense of needing to put oneself into a situation to make sure everything's all right. Mm. I think a lot of the reason why I end up sort of emceeing a lot and being the sort of you know, warm comic yeah. um, that you were talking about earlier on, um, is out of a, a sort of a desire for things not to be awkward <laughs> that borders on the kind of the pathological. You're just kind of like, oh, no one's talking. I'd better talk. Yeah, ah, yeah, like yeah. That. And as a result, I end up over-talking and, you know, being, yes. sort of risking being boorish. Is there, is there some sort of connection mm. there with what you 
feel needs to be happening in a room if you say there's a certain mm. certain twitchiness or a, yeah, or a yeah. boredom with the normal um i don't know so much about i don't think i'm that type of person i'd more likely shrink to the wall and think to myself but i certainly think it's true that when i was starting off i was really nervous so my way of coping with it was to look really really nervous Okay. And that's partly how the character came out, you know, so that when I go to the camera and mock the week or whatever, I look slightly terrified because that's what I was like inside when I started. Sure. So my way of dealing with it is to make it really, really bad. Okay. okay. Rather than try and make it better in a strange way. <laughs> but again, to make something happen, but to take the, the rubbish on myself. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, this is getting a bit psychological but <laughs> but uh, i had a, an older brother who, no younger brother why did i say older but that that's freudian in itself but who was brilliant at everything okay straight a's um head girl everything <laughs> and um <laughs> and one of the ways i found out that i could get some attention and i tried work-wise and academic-wise i couldn't you know i couldn't you know, I was fine, I was in the middle, I was, he took all his exams a year early and all this okay. stuff, you know, was to mess about. Sure. And uh, you get far more attention if you, instead of coming third on sports day, you drop your trousers halfway down the track. <laughs> Is that based on a real event? Not exactly, but I'm using it as a sort of <laughs> analogy. Um, but certainly, I, I, you know, I got to a stage where I deliberately mess up work for the comments, you know, you are a joke or whatever it was written at the end of the essay. Mm. Uh, because I knew that if I tried my best, it, no one would notice. And uh, <laughs> gradually that's turned around, you know, I've sort of turned it, kept going, kept going, kept going, and been around at a time where that can be paid. So um, I've been lucky in that sense. But that, that's sort of one of my motivations, is to um, get the attention back to me um, by messing up the chessboard. Yes, okay. And do you think there's... We were talking earlier on about how you play, how the character of Milton plays with others on something like mm. Mock the Week. Mm. Does that ever come into the, the work that you do on there? Is there a... It, is, there seems to be a parallel with sort of if you're surrounded by overachievers and people being fast yeah, and zappy yeah. and charismatic and... Yeah, absolutely. And what happens is, of course, they take a subject and they all riff with it and they go like, you know, and Chris goes one and Hugh goes two and Dara goes three and I say pheasant. <laughs> <laughs> which is slightly annoying for them but the editor loves it because she can just cut there and move on to the next subject sure, sure. so that has sort of worked for me I mean it's not team play <laughs> 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 uh, but I mean given that the other problem with Mock the Week is getting a word in in the first place mm. I'm lucky in that I can get in track a grenade and get out again very quickly because of the way I do things mm -hmm. and that has been really handy you know uh, for telly whenever I'd had the opportunity, uh, because I get to the jokes really quickly. What's harder for me to do is to do a longer show, but that's, you know, sure. they don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the question I was going to ask, and this might be a bit of a, a curveball, is I noticed that some of your jokes, because of the, the kind of the cartoon world they inhibit, because of the, the, the necessity of using broad subjects that we all recognize to bounce off i wondered if some like you did a joke which and i don't remember the exact joke but i made a note of it at the time that it was something to do with women taking a long time to get ready do yeah, you yeah. think that there is i think it was when you were riffing with someone from manchester or uh, no, the, the joke is uh traveling around i didn't realize uh, you find out a bit about the histories about different places years ago all the men in manchester no all the men in chester went to live in manchester and centuries ago all the women in chester well they're still getting ready yeah <laughs> now do you think although that's it that's an excellent joke mm. do you think there is a any sort of danger of perpetuating stereotypes because you have to use stereotypes as your as your language yeah uh, there is an, <laughs> my only well one of my only defenses is that of that is probably the same as frankie boyles actually ironically is that as long as i do it to everyone <laughs> then hopefully it's okay i mean there are dangerous there are there are moments where it's slightly dangerous i think and i tr usually try and balance it out 
either by putting you know the, in that case there isn't an anti-men thing on the end of it uh, but there is a, another joke in the show about lads uh, when you're ever asked to do a job do you deliberately do it really badly uh, so you never get asked to do that job again I mean I hardly know CPR anyway <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it's, I think the danger, the danger with taking one joke out of context is that it doesn't give the spirit in which it's said away. Sure. Which is always the bane of the Daily Mail, well, to, as far as I'm concerned, and newspapers in general, where they take what was said on a programme, yes. even though they didn't actually watch it, or, and then they present it to Guildford or Tunbridge Wells and say, what do you think of this? Yes. And no one sees the spirit in which it's said. Now, having said that, well, it might have been said in a horrible way anyway. But hopefully, um, the whole spirit of the show uh, trumps any particular potentially nasty thing that was said. Sure. I hope. And do you, I've offended people lots of times Have over you, the, oh, oh yeah yeah that's something I wanted to ask what kind of I uh, wrote down what kind of complaints do you get and I underlined the word you as if you say <laughs> even you like mm. surely I mean well I mean <laughs> I could go on uh, it's usually there's a mistake happens um, I mean there was once in, I was in a rugby club and uh, I was I was doing some jokes about sheep and uh, I forget what they were and someone shouted out, there's nothing wrong with sheep. And I said, I know, I've seen your wife. <laughs> right? right? Just, you have a fraction of a second and you just say sure. what comes into your head. And, and, it, and it should be said that, in the, although now in the afternoon that drew an ooh, that's yeah. exactly what you need to say oh, to yeah, survive yeah, yeah. in a commercial However, company. when I looked over, there was the bloke who said it with his wife in a wheelchair and a drip. <laughs> right. I'm going, oh boy. <laughs> block it out block it out block it out just carry on with the rest of the show and uh, you know I didn't get into trouble for that particular thing but I could just see their faces fall when I'd sure. done it and going that Be because they're assuming almost too much yeah, yeah. thought on your part yeah yeah, yeah. No, absolutely and uh, you know there's no point in me trying to explain that or ruining the show and going over I'm so sorry or you know it just happened mm -hmm. and uh, I mean th there's another one I've told quite a lot yes I'm familiar with this is the yeah. club that you had to leave yeah um or the, the, was it a dinner you said something about there are lots of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah the, the other one that I've told quite a lot is um, uh, being at a some bar men and women had a corporate thing and uh, halfway through I was doing fine there was no need to get involved uh, I said uh, so this is your night off strange isn't it on your night off you've got free food and drink surely you get that all the time when you're at work <laughs> And a woman shouted out, we don't get free food and drink at work. And I said, how come you're all so fat then? <laughs> Tell me, Milton, had you looked at this woman before you said that? No, I wish I had. Well, I couldn't <laughs> see her because I didn't realise that that was her particular problem. Uh, and she stormed out screaming, crying. And... <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's what some of the blokes did. They laughed. They thought it was hilarious. But of course, all her friends at the back didn't. And I'm going, I didn't know. I didn't know. And the yeah. fact that the guys had laughed at it, yeah, even made, made it, it ten times worse. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was yeah. playing to them. And then, of course, the promoter, um, the, the, I think I died at that point. Yeah, after that. And the promoter came to me and said, you're not having your money, mate. You can only have half of it. And then some blokes surrounded me and said, she's crying in the other room. You go and apologise. And I go, well, I'm trying to explain about comedy and how you can't mm. actually plan what's going to be said and all this stuff. <laughs> and the promoter just gave me half money. He said, run to the car, just run to the car. Mate. <laughs> and so, so I walked briskly into the car. <laughs> um, but that's the kind of situation you can find yourself in, you know, that... Um, things happen and it's not because you pre-planned to be nasty particularly it's just because sometimes things look bad and it's 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 very difficult given i mean I, you could be forgiven for thinking come on you bastards look at all the nice yeah, yeah. stuff i've just done yeah, yeah. look how there's no swearing in it and there's no victim in a lot yeah, yeah. of it and, and yet as soon as that as soon as that bomb happens that's well sometimes you um, you know i'm to blame in that um i remember i did another trade union congress which is a bad thing to do anyway and uh, i used to have a joke uh, that that goes um i'm not sure this will work on the podcast but it go i used to go out with a girl who was you know deformed <laughs> <laughs> 
For the podcast, that's wiggly hand movements. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, f- for the first time in my life, despite having done that joke hundreds of times, I f- forgot to do the hand movement. <laughs> so basically, I said, I used to go out with a girl who was, you know, deformed. <laughs> and there was no point explaining that. No, normally, what happens is, I, I may, you know. And then I started getting heckled from all sorts. You know, imagine Trade Union Congress, how much they'd love that. And, uh, you know, uh, and then I, I couldn't get my money and uh, I ended up missing the last train. Uh, it was a great night. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there are lots of little stories like that that often, you know, they're at the beginning of your career and that, that would mean I'd never miss that joke out again. You know, mm. that, that I would get that right. And often you learn more from the things that go wrong. Mm. Um, is there anyone who would like to ask a question? That's a great question. Um, we were talking about uh, your, the change in your persona and how you can switch that on or off. Can you do that with the, the joke writing machine, the pun factory in, in your brain? In a short answer, no. I'm afraid it's a life affliction. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's sort of got to be the way because you think, okay, take three weeks off and go and, and have a villa or something somewhere and just turn your head off. But what happens there is that I get relaxed and creative. Yes. And it's counterproductive actually in some ways. So no, I can't. And uh, uh, my family, you know, are used to me doing that or used to me trying jokes out on them, you know, all the time. And they found out now, of course, that there's money involved and they try and sell me jokes. Um, Do any of those make it to the stage? Well, yeah, no, my kids are a bit older now, but th- there was a time when uh, Jeremy, my, he was about eight, and uh, he said, Dad, can you use this, can you use this? Is it just me, or does the Queen's face look like a coin? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, son. <laughs> and no money a, for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there was another time we, um, he did a joke. He said, oh, you can use this, you can use this. And uh, I was, uh, did a radio sketch about a commentator and uh, the line was something, I had to adapt it a little bit. Uh, um, you, it's really easy to be a commentator because their names are on their backs. All you have to do is read them on their shirts. And it's Vodafone, passes to Vodafone, passes to <laughs> Vodafone. And it's a nice little joke on the way to something. And, uh, and then he was in the recording of the radio and he's only eight. He came running up to me afterwards. We put his name on the credits at the end of the show. And he came up running up to me and he said, Daddy, 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 there was a man with the same name as me on the end of the credits. <laughs> <laughs> no repeat fees for you. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Any, anyone else? Uh, when you run your fingers through your hair, is that genuine nerves or part of the persona? Uh, I think it's to try and make sure it's sticking up a bit. I think that, that's all that is. It's, yeah, it's... Uh, it's not a conscious thing a lot of the time. It just happens, and uh, I try and play with it to make it stick up. I don't like the idea of it looking completely normal. I like the idea of it, like the shirt thing, being, nah, shouldn't be like that. But not. I don't particularly like the sort of, like I've stuck my fingers in a socket idea. Uh, it just needs to be, so I'm kind of going, still a bit odd, aren't I? Uh, so uh, I think that's it. How much... Oh, someone liked that question over there. Yeah. Some appreciation from mobile phone. Uh, how much... And uh, we, we won't tell anyone apart from the yes. of the podcast. How much of Mock the Week is scripted? Uh, I always compare Mock the Week to doing like an exam. Well, you know what questions could come up, but you kind of hope the one that you revised comes up. It's recorded for three hours, up to three hours, for a half-hour show. So most of it ends up on the cutting room floor. Uh, and you you hope that your funny bits don't end up there. Just uh, pheasant. On the <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so basically, uh, we, you know, we get a long, long list of stuff that could come up. And there will be one or two that definitely come up. But the edit is king. If someone says something really funny, or two or three people say really something really funny on subject four or five, we may well start with that in the edit, in the final programme. So what's dangerous with a three-hour record is that you zone out for 10 minutes. Mm. And I find myself thinking, I'm thinking about something else. I haven't said anything for 10 minutes. I hope this isn't the bit that goes in the show. Mm. Um, so it's, 
The stand-up, we know roughly what's coming. But again, we have to prepare two or three. And the scenes at the end, we know roughly what's coming. The single biggest thing that's hard on Mock the Week is knowing, is getting in before someone else. Because even if you know what subject's coming up, there are probably only two or three ways of tackling it comedically, mm-hmm. but there are seven people in the room. So the first three are going to get in first mm. and to do it. I mean, my style's slightly different, so that helps. But even so, um, especially, it's, it's easier without Frankie, to be honest. Um, <laughs> because he was brilliant at what he did, but it's really hard to come in with a nice little joke mm. after he's just gone blat. Yeah. <laughs> with darkness. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I didn't, really work with Frankie particularly but anyone who does that mm. you know type of thing is harder uh, so it's sort of scripted but the script is so huge or it's not scripted the the subject headings are scripted but it's so huge you could never cover it anyway so you kind of got to keep your fingers crossed that it you know your bits win out uh, it can do um, but as I say I prefer interaction to indifference and quite often with my own show people it's in a theatre and it isn't the same kind of combat- combative environment mm. and to be honest the bits that I look forward to are the interjections of the audience and seeing whether I can cope with that especially I've done the show that I'm doing at the moment you know about 80 times so you know I'm sometimes I find myself floating up in the sky and looking down on myself <laughs> not that joke again <laughs> uh, so I'm quite happy in that situation with my own show to invite anyone to chip in. And there's not, you know, sometimes I regret that, but it's the risk you take. Um, I wouldn't probably do that in a club environment, to be fair. Um, I think we've just got time for one more before we have to wrap Mm. up. In the terms of the writing process, what sort of things are you using to try and find your starting points? Are you constantly reading and listening to radio and reading magazines and newspapers? Obviously, with something like Mock the Week, I have to look at newspapers and websites and all that stuff. But they do provide a massive, great briefing document, which I don't read at all. (laughs) I just look at the potential subject headings and think, have you got anything? Because I'm coming in at a sideways thing anyway. There's no point in me me doing an Andy Parsons or a David Mitchell rant. Okay. You know, I just do something vaguely related to it. So uh, my... Homework, if you like, not for Mock the Week, but just in general, is to read lots, watch lots, and to just come up with pages on one subject. Just writing word association, uh, anything that comes into my head, uh, a flow of subconscious nonsense. And then I'll ring potential ideas on that page and throw most of them away, but keep the others... It's like panning for gold. You just mm-hmm. keep going, keep going, keep going. So you're churning out, like, doing that, is that the sort of exercise where you just don't let your pen off the paper yeah. for 10 yeah, minutes yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah, and then try and hone it up, and especially on the day of a show, then really get it crisp. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Milton Jones. <laughs> thank you. So thank you to Milton, thank you to James Peggs Lowey on sound and uh, Pete Pete Jones on camera. Uh, we'll be releasing the first episode of the ComCom Pod Web TV show very soon. That's starring Susan Kalman. More details on that next time. That's sort of nearly-ish ready to go. I'm going to start to run a, a Web TV show concurrently with the podcast, so that you have the option of uh, of watching either. Probably the web one will be considerably shorter because people on the internet don't like to watch telly for more than about 12 minutes, as I understand it in my extremely limited research. But that's the plan. So more, more details on that soon. Uh, and hopefully the next podcast we release will be, uh, will be concurrent, if that's the word, will be attached to that. Hopefully they're all going to be happening soon. And just very quickly, a couple of hellos. Hello to Alex that I met at the brilliant Sunday Capers gig over the weekend. That's a part of a sort of uh, concept mini city festival called Sunday Papers. A very nice atmosphere. And so lovely to meet Alex. And hello to Anna, who tweets for the BBC, and who I met on the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, when I was uh, fully latexed up, although not the way you'd expect from me. I, I was playing an ood, serving drinks behind the bar on the uh, the fascinating series of dis- 
decisions that was the uh, the after party show absolutely brilliant fun as you can imagine best night of my life uh, standing behind several of my childhood heroes and pretending to serve them drinks whilst wearing a latex mask brilliant hello to Anna hello to Alex come and see some shonky new hours of stand up from me and James Acaster on Wednesday the 18th of December at the Pleasance if you saw Milton Jones on tour a couple of years ago it's likely that James was his tour support he's had, he's had a couple recently I think Chris Martin's been doing some he's fantastic um, but if you saw him a few years ago James Acaster of course you've heard from on this show before uh, and if you haven't then he have been the one who looks like a school uniform on a coat hanger. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. You can help me claw my way out of my Edinburgh-induced poverty with a donation via comedianscomedian.com. We're back next time with something amazing. Bye-bye. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.